0: for service, I was not prepared <laughs> for the emotional overwhelm I would feel just thinking about the fact I get to follow my dad. It is so cool. And he so much of who I am and the good things about me, um, gosh, he and my mom, they're, a, they're an amazing team. I got some issues, but most of those I've stumbled into on my own. It's not They set me up well and I was, I've just been a goofball. So mom, dad, I love you. <laughs> Um, I'm Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Um, I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here and I got impressed on me today before I said anything, dove into the Bible. Um, you probably heard there was a tragedy that happened in the town of Uvalde, Texas uh, on Tuesday, May 24th. Um, a gunman shot up a school, Rob Elementary, uh, hit very hard for me uh, when I heard that 19 fourth graders were killed, uh, because I got a fourth grader, and he's sitting in that row right over here. And two adults were killed, including their teacher. Seventeen people were wounded, and I think we just need to pray for them. So let's take a second, let's pray, and then we'll dive into the Word, okay? Father, good grief. We watch tragedies happen like that, and it rips our hearts out. It seems... Lord, as if the more details that come to light is it's just more gut wrenching. Just one more reminder that um, your kingdom is now, but not yet. Our world is broken. Thank you for being faithful in the aftermath of this, Jesus. And we lift up to you every family impacted by this, all the classmates. All the teachers and all the school employees, Father, for that community of Uvalde, for other schools across our nation. God, I don't know exactly what the answer is. We know the answer is you and your goodness and your truth. But God, practically, I don't know how that comes to bear here. I know it's a contentious conversation that's already playing out and it's going to keep being that way. I ask that you would pour out your wisdom As we grapple with that, we ask for your justice. Pray that you would use us as agents of your goodness to help people mourn and grieve and grapple and heal. Father, be with all of our brothers and sisters who are mobilizing there to do just that. In your name we pray. Amen. So 10 years ago, I had a series of conversations with a friend that changed forever how I navigate tough topics in the Bible. This friend had followed Jesus a very long time, got into his 20s, had a lot of challenges he hit, and he walked away from his faith. And I was confused. How could someone so devoted to Jesus just peace out and walk? And I asked a lot of questions, and the more we talked, it was clear There was so much pain in his voice. And the breakdown in his relationship with his human father had spilled over and pretty much severed his relationship with his heavenly father at this stage of the game. And part of the anger and the skepticism that he was projecting was at the Bible. He would reference verse after verse in the Old Testament and the New Testament that he said caused him to question Christianity. one of the topics he just didn't have any patience for was the fact that slavery appears in the pages of the bible Um, and he argued the very fact that slavery isn't outright condemned that nobody spoke up and said all slaves free right now that that showed god wasn't good and the bible couldn't be trusted that was his argument and he said you know what the patriarchs the prophets the kings the apostle paul the disciples jesus himself They had all these opportunities to condemn this nasty thing of slavery, and they just didn't do it, and I want nothing to do with that. Now, I had wrestled with some of these questions myself when I grew in my faith, and I tried to ask my friend questions. I tried to offer empathy and follow up and offer lovingly some thoughts. I don't know if I did a particularly good job. I did the best that I could, but it just didn't really do much to shift his thought process. And a lot of you have probably been in one of those conversations before around the water cooler family gathering old friend from high school and they are painful i mean watching people hurt is awful but also knowing just that a lot of these problems like slavery continue to play out in our world it can be overwhelming but over this past decade i've had a lot of these convos i've failed and fallen on my face in some of them which has helped me learn. Sometimes God has opened doors and I've seen him bring fruit from these conversations. And I can say confidently that you know what? I figured out how to show that the Old Testament and the New Testament lay the foundation that freed people from the evil practice of slavery that existed in biblical times. And so today, we're going to wrestle with this. And here's some of the questions we're going to wrestle with. We're first... What do we need to know about slavery in the ancient world and that the Bible records? Why does Paul, in chapter 6 of Ephesians, the last couple of weeks we talked about how, okay, he talks to wives and husbands, he talks to kids and parents. Now he's going to talk to slaves and masters? Why does he have to do that? And the last thing is this, when Paul gives these instructions, what does it mean for us in our 21st century Western world that we live in? So Jesus, we're going to dive into your word. Holy Spirit, be in this space, pave the way, open our minds, soften our hearts. I ask that we would be different people when we walk out of here. I pray you would show us what you want to show us, change us how you want to change us, and mobilize us out into Shelby County, however you want to do that, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you would flip to Ephesians 6, starting with verse 5. I'm going to be in the CSB today. You can have your hard copy open, you can watch on the screen, if you want to go to InsideSC.org, especially if you're online, tablet, phone, laptop, you can go to there and then click Take Sermon Notes, we'll have all of that laid out for you right in there. To recap this series, our series Extraordinary talks about the fact that what God did in the past and what he continues to do in the future, it is extraordinary stuff, it's incredible. Now just to remind us where the book of Ephesians was written to, the city of Ephesus, it was a real place and you can find it on a map. Here's the map, right? Western coast of modern-day Turkey. There it is. Red dot. Ephesus. It was a prominent city. A lot of stuff happened there. And the background of Ephesus... We'll show you this slide from the Bible Project. I loved this. So in Acts 19, on one of his missionary journeys, Paul had come to town. There was a lot of excitement happened, especially some of it in that amphitheater represented there. And he had spread the gospel, and they started a church. And he went on his way. But years later, he's sitting in jail and he's writing this letter back to the church, talking to them about how they can navigate their situation. And this is how we can think about and summarize what the whole purpose of Ephesians is, and that is this. We'll put up this next slide. Paul summarizes the gospel story, the good news of Jesus, and how that gospel story reshapes every part of our story, every single part of it. And That doesn't just include on a big picture level. That includes like the micro level, like in the household. Because let's jump to this next one here. That's what Paul's been speaking to. He says, hey, so this doesn't just impact the whole world. Part of that is it comes into the home where you spend most of your time and the relationships where you have most of your influence. And so he said, you need to show love and respect and you need to do it like Jesus loved his church. And that goes for husbands and wives, that goes for children and parents, and today it's going to go for slaves and masters. I'll give you a heads up, parents. Uh, I'm going to talk very uh, tastefully about this. Slavery is a gritty topic no matter how you slice it. So when you go home, I I don't think you have to pull your kids out if you have young kids with you. Um, However, I would say just be prepared for some questions at lunch that might be a little heavier hitting than some other weeks. All right? For some of you as adults, you may go, man, it's heavy hitting for me. And sometimes that happens. Grappling with the Bible, it takes some heavy lifting sometimes. So just be ready. And to help us do that heavy lifting, we basically have to know what was slavery like in first century Ephesus. Because if we know that, then we can understand the context behind what Paul writes. And we can know why he writes, what it means. We need to do that. And to help us, I'm going to bring in some insights from this book called How Not to Read Your Bible by a pastor named Dan Kimball that I have crazy respect for. As we go along, we'll intersperse some of these observations into the text. I don't know if I've ever, before first service today, navigated a message like this, so it'll be a little bit of an adventure. But again, you cover tough topics, sometimes it's going to look a little different. Okay? So let's dive into verse 5. Here we go. Paul writes, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ." You may remember a few weeks back, Brad was in chapter 5, and in Ephesians 5, 21, it said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul just starts saying, you do that by doing this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And he's kind of come down the line, and like we said, he's addressed spouses, he's addressed parents and kids. Now it's time for slaves and masters, because slaves were a huge part of households in this ancient world. Their families lived with the master's families. The kids grew up together. They were educated together. And Paul is saying right out the gate, hey, listen, slaves, masters, you all inherit the same thing. In Jesus' eyes, you all inherit eternal life if you follow him. And some masters, they were good and kind. Some weren't that way. But if you're part of the church, Paul has an instruction for you. He says, hey, I've got this new vision. You're going to love seeing what these new relationships look like now that Jesus defeated death and he's turned that gospel story loose into our story. It's going to be amazing. Slavery was a huge part of the world in Paul's day. It's estimated 30% or more of the population were slaves or another word they used were bond servants in that time. And here's Paul. He's this member of this little bitty minority movement of a bunch of Jewish people and a few Gentiles cobbling together. Uh, We call it the church now. They called it the way back then. Paul doesn't have a whole lot of influence outside of his little circle. But here he is. He's writing these letters to people he had established relationships with, saying, I know you're in these rough situations, but let me tell you how you can live in a broken world. Let me tell you how you can do that. And he spoke to the masters and the slaves, but did you catch who he addresses first in verse 5? Who does he speak first to? He talks to the slaves. Nobody in that day addressed a slave directly or mentioned him first, but Paul does. Right out the gate, he says, you got dignity, you're a real person, and I got to let you know that, even though nobody else probably would. And he says to these slaves, I want you to honor your masters, submit to them, show the love and respect that Jesus did for his church, because in Christ, masters and slaves are sisters and brothers. That's how this works now. This is a different world and Paul says, as long as culture is set up this way and we don't have a lot of power to change things, we're going to look to the master in heaven who does have the power to change it and can trust that he can help us obey our earthly masters as he's overturning things and continuing to turn this gospel story loose and transform the world. There's this movie that released in 2000 and it's called The Patriots. Some of you saw it. it, starred Mel Gibson. A lot of people said it was the second coming of Braveheart. Braveheart meets the Revolutionary War. It's a compelling film, very entertaining watch, and in it, uh, they're raising up a militia to fight the British, and there's this character named Occam, who is a slave, and his master, I believe, had already fought before in some of the other conflicts, so he sends Occam to fight in his place. Occam Doesn't really seem to be the biggest fan of that, but he joins the militia, faces a lot of dicey combos, uh, some racism and stuff. But by the end of the story, they're getting ready to face this big battle. And one of the other soldiers, a white man who he's had friction with, is talking to him and looks at him and says, you know, you're free right now. You've put in your time. You can walk. Why are you here? And Ockham basically says, oh, I'm here on my own accord. So here he is, he's, he's fulfilled his commitment to his earthly master, but what was the focus all along? There was this greater cause, there was this higher allegiance that he was fighting. It's an incredible illustration of what Paul's talking about. So let's park just a second. What does the Bible tell us about slavery? Some of these things will be a little more obvious than others, some of them might really make you think. The first thing is this, slavery is evil and the Bible says that it's evil. If you took another person against their will and you forced them to become the property of another person, that was wicked, that was awful, not okay. But when sin entered the world, slavery is one of the ways that we went way off track from God's plan. And it can be tough because people love to cherry pick and throw out all these verses in the Bible that if you don't have the context, it's very confusing. Check this out, Exodus 21. He said, uh, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he's to serve for six years. And then in the seventh, he's to leave as a free man without paying anything. It's like, well, I'm glad he can live as a, leave as a free man, but why did he have to serve those six years? Like, what, what's happening? Or this one, when a man sells his daughter as a concubine, she's not to leave as the male slaves do. It's like, whoa, people are selling their kids. What is going on? And the New Testament has similar verses. I mean, check out these. Uh, slaves, we just read this one. Obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Or in the letter to Titus, Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well pleasing, not talking back. Man, at face value, we kind of read that and it's like, why are these in here? But, brings us to our second thing about slavery. Not only is it evil, but these verses appear because, number two, God gave regulations to an existing condition that people created. Chew on that just a second. God gave regulations to an existing condition that people in their broken state created. When you look at the other verses around it, you realize, oh yeah, that is the case. So let's go back to Exodus 21.6. Whoever kidnaps a person must be put to death, whether he sells them or the person is found in his possession. Okay, that's saying slavery is bad, <laughs> slavery is evil. Or, here we go, 1 Timothy Another letter Paul wrote, says, we know the law, it's not meant for a righteous person. Who's it meant for? For the lawless, the rebellious, the ungodly, the sinful. Go on down the list a little bit. For slave traders, there it is. Liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. The assumption that the Old Testament makes and the assumption that the New Testament makes, it is consistent all the way across. That is, That slave trading is evil. And it is condemned, it's not okay, and especially for the people of God. Never was part of the original plan. Dan Kimball, who I'm going to reference a few times that we're drawing his insights, in his book, How Not to Read the Bible, he says this. I think this is so good. He says, what we see in the Bible is God giving instructions to regulate a pre-existing way of life that was pervasive at that time. Slavery was everywhere in the ancient world, embedded in the economic and social institutions of those times. But this is the key, catch this, God did not affirm or endorse slavery, but he worked within the cultural framework of that time to begin a longer process of transformation that would lead to moving people out of slavery in any and every form. You catch that? He didn't affirm, he didn't affirm it, God didn't endorse it, no, he worked with the way things were to move people away from slavery over time. Because he's good like that. Because he loves us like that. And he uses us to do that. Crucial. But Paul has more to say to the slaves. Check out verse 6. He says, Slaves, don't work only while you're being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he'll receive this back from the Lord. It It was super tempting for slaves to just give this false, imp- false impression of their work ethic. You could fake it and make it and get some rewards from that. But Paul says, no, 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 remember the real reward. You're an heir of Jesus. You get the eternal life, and it starts now, and it's going to keep going. He says, selfless service is never in vain when you do it for God, for the real, true, highest master. It's never in vain. Some of these household slaves, they had a chance to be free. Others maybe didn't. They would never earn that. But Paul says it doesn't matter. There's a reward waiting for you that's better and longer lasting than anything that your earthly master could give to you. This slaveholding class, all these masters, they had a lot of stereotypes they believed about slaves. They thought they were super lazy a lot of the time and especially if you didn't keep an eye on them when no one was looking, oh, they were going to be lazy and slack. And Paul in that situation says slaves work hard we have this new hope and this new motive for what you're working because God's not going to forget what you do for him. And and that's true for us. You know, at one point, Paul says he's a slave for Christ. He's the ultimate master. Well, so are we if we follow Jesus. God doesn't forget the things we do for him, the things that are hard, grueling, the things that cost us. And one day we're going to hear, well done good and faithful servant, if we stay faithful to Jesus till the end. Doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're free, Jesus will reward you. God, he doesn't have time for favoritism. He loves all his kids. That's how he works. It is so neat to look at the history of the church and how it grew and spread all over the world. One of my favorite historians is this guy named Husto Gonzalez, and he shares this Really neat little tidbit in one of his history books that I got to read for school. And he said one of the shocking things about the early spread of Christianity in the first few centuries AD or CE is the fact that there's not a whole lot said after the Bible of missionaries going from place to place to place like the Apostle Paul did in the New Testament or Barnabas. It becomes clear pretty quick when you read these ancient accounts that what spread the gospel in those centuries... It wasn't the full-time missionaries. What slung the gospel into each corner of the world that had never heard it was when all of these people like merchants, like exiles that were condemned to work in the mines or slaves going and doing the bidding of their masters, when they went all over the world, they took their faith with them. They took that gospel story and they shared it and they passed it along and they passed it along. How awesome is it That they worked hard and obeyed these missions, whatever they were doing for the human masters. And along the way, they said, okay, great. We're going to ask God to use that. I'm out here anyway. Great chance to get this story advanced. I couldn't have done that if they just had me staying at home. You talk about keeping your ultimate purpose in view and God just unleashing. Incredible testimony. There's a couple more things we need to remember about slavery. Like I said, we're just kind of throwing these in here. And this is number three. Slavery in our culture, it is not the same as it was in the Bible. Like, it doesn't look the same at all. As slaves in the Bible, they were more like bond servants. We said that. In ancient Israel, super common that you might sell yourself into slavery because you had a debt to pay or you didn't want to starve. You wanted to escape poverty and you knew you could live in a master's household and be provided for. In the first century, Slavery was so common that, yeah, we said 30% of the population were slaves. And it wasn't divided among ethnic lines. You had Greek and Roman people, and they had slaves. And you could have slaves that were the same ethnicity as you. It wasn't drawn along race-based lines. So slavery today is not exactly the same as in the Bible, though there are some similarities. But this is number four. It might not seem like it at face value when you first start reading, but the Bible brought some really positive changes to ancient slavery. It was a horrible institution that humans established, not God, like we said, he didn't endorse this, but he gives these regulations to say, hey, this is going to limit the evil that's being done. In these verses, they offered guidance, but the guidance always was meant to improve things. There were two other verses just in that Exodus 21 that we read. One of them said, if you kill a slave, you're going to face punishment for it. You do not kill your slaves. Do not do that. Another one said, if your slave ends up getting injured permanently, you got to set them free. No questions asked. you got to set that person free. It's limiting the pain, bringing it down. Now, there's one more verse that Paul mentions in verse 9, but he doesn't address it to the slaves. This one goes another direction. He says, and masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Can you imagine looking at these slave masters reading this letter? Someone's up there reading it publicly. They say, hey, you make sure that you do for your slaves what your slaves are doing for you. That was wacky stuff. It was unbelievable. That, that just didn't happen. Paul's sitting there in his prison cell pinning what they need to hear. Very few writers in the ancient world would say that slaves were spiritual equals to their masters, but Paul says that. I mean, these masters in Paul's day, they had the power of life and death over their slaves. They could beat them, they could imprison them, they could sell them to another master who put them into harsher servitude and worse conditions. They even threatened to separate kids and parents. Paul says, whoa, 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 remember, masters, you've got one true duty, one responsibility you've got to keep in mind. That is, whoever it is that submits to you, whoever is under you, you're responsible for doing good and bringing about great things for them. Masters, you're not, you shouldn't flex your power to take advantage of them. That's not how this works. Don't threaten the people. He told them, you've got to treat them kindly you know why because they sit under a master too and you know what that master is the same master you serve the ancient world the greco-roman world it was they used the term stratified there were all these different layers there was this social hierarchy usually slaves were at the very bottom and the masters were more up towards the top and paul says hang on a second when you factor in the spiritual world it's not stratified quite like that Not when it comes to human beings anyway. There's two rungs. There's God the master and human beings. You are on the same playing field. God created every human being to submit to him, period. That's how it's supposed to work. In some ways, when we read this, in some ways these commands, they sound pretty standard. Kind of tame. Masters, treat your slaves the same way. Okay, don't threaten them. Got it. You know their master and yours is in heaven. Yes, he is. There's no favoritism. Yeah, I, I know that. But man, Paul, he's, he's captain subversive when he writes this. He's a bad, bad man in a good, good way. Because he's just undercutting slavery. He's chipping away at the foundations. Because what does he do? He, well, he addressed the marginalized group first. He talked to the slaves before he talked to the masters. He told the slaves, you have a choice in this. Make the God-honoring choice. You have ethical volition. Seize it. It's a gift. And then he cuts the husbands and the masters down to size. He says, hey, remember, if you live in that household, slave, master, husband, wife, kid, parent, the playing field is all level because of the ultimate master. All these expectations, these households, all these codes that they had to live out, And here's Paul, Mr. Revolutionary, and what he's saying to him. Because he basically says, in this world where your primary allegiance is thought to be the government and the power of the state and whatever the culture says, you need to live that way. He says, nope, that's not how it works. Your true allegiance is to the true master in heaven, period. That's where you start and everything else falls in place after that. At the end of the day, We're made to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we maybe think, what does that have to do with me? Well, I can tell you this. A lot of masters, they didn't think that slaves really counted. People in those upper levels, they didn't think that the slaves down below meant much at all. And we think that way in our brokenness, too, sometimes. There's a group of people we think they don't count. So, ask yourself, who are the people you think don't count that are actually on a level playing field with you? That brings us to point five, and that's the, in the New Testament that we're reading today. We see God actively moving people away from slavery. If God could take us away from sin and all its consequences, he did it. And he was faithful to do it. He constantly reminded the church, hey, don't forget, every human being is made in my image. All of you are equal. Slave, non-slave, same worth. Patriarchy, misogyny, racism, there's no place for that. We don't have time for that. Jesus doesn't want that. The rest of the world has that, and it looks awful. Let's not bring that into the church. All the typical ways that we use to divide ourselves in all these categories, wealth or poverty, skin color education, none of those standards apply in God's family. We are all together. We are brothers and sisters. Dan Kimball points out that God sought to change how we see each other as human beings final point along that line is this it was wrong to use the bible to justify slavery in, in the americas we're talking like 15 1600s up to the civil war anybody who tried to say the bible backed slavery they didn't know how to read the bible they didn't know how to study the bible they didn't know how to look at the context and they were doing it just to justify their evil ways intentionally or unintentionally they didn't consider what was really going on and that was not okay So, man, this is a lot. We're feeling the weight of this bear down on us. We say, what am I supposed to do about that? And maybe you're asking the question, why couldn't Jesus or someone just say, no more slavery? Why why didn't he do that? I I don't know for sure. You know, some people think, well, if 30% of the population were slaves, and he said, make them all free, there could have been economic upheaval. People could have starved. But what did Jesus usually focus on? He Did he talk about the government and laws? No, he focused on the heart, the desires and the motives of the heart. That is where he aimed this. You know, it maybe would have been easier for us, a more clean cut, if Jesus or Paul or someone said, all slaves go free now. Paul usually said, no, slaves, let me help you deal with this. Let me help you face this. Even when slaves led rebellions and revolts, they usually didn't think, we're going to overthrow the whole system. No, no. They were trying to free one specific group, and sometimes those revolts got smashed by the Roman government hard. It could get ugly. But one of my favorite professors, Craig Keener, he says, you know what? The way Paul deals with this issue, it doesn't leave any doubt that if you got him across the table from you over a cup of coffee and said, Paul, should slavery be a thing? Should abolition happen? Paul would say, of course. People are equals.'" created in the image of God. Slavery should not exist. It needs to come down. The Bible lays the foundation for people to be freed from this evil practice. It occurred over time, slowly through the heart, but we know that when heart change happens, that's when the social change happens. And we can be thankful that Christians over the many centuries have fought this battle and stood for truth And seeing those ancient institutions crumble in culture after culture after culture. So for a lot of us, we maybe feel really disconnected from this. 60% of the people that are part of the church that follow Jesus in the world live outside of the United States and Europe. They aren't part of the Western world. And unfortunately, those brothers and sisters of ours, they live in places and countries and cultures where there are all these hierarchies And all these difficult social situations that they look a lot more like Bible times than they do modern times in the good old U.S. of A. It looks way, way different. And we need to pray for those people. Because in a lot of those countries, that's where the church is exploding way more than here. We need to be lifting them up. So here's some ideas of what you can do to respond to what we've done today. I encourage you, follow and support some of these organizations that fight modern day slavery. I'll give you an example. International Justice Mission, IJM, they do incredible stuff. It's amazing. They're shining a light on modern-day slavery. It's estimated there's 40 million slaves modern day. You know, we may think, well, where's that in our world? Well, human trafficking is a place this happens a lot. That's a big deal up in Indy. It can happen in local outlying areas like our town, happens in all these cultures. And I tell you what, if you follow these organizations, see their stats, and hear the stories of the work they're doing on so many fronts all over the world, it changes your perspective, and it'll grow how you pray. It'll change how you come to the feet of Jesus. So follow them. Consider that. And then here's another thing. This hits really local. Ask God to open the door to have convos about these tough topics like slavery. I'm telling you, these are chances we have to throw some seeds and sow them those seeds of the good news of jesus the gospel it's a chance to help people think clearly in a world that doesn't do that very well it's a chance to ask them questions first and then when you bring your thoughts to do it kind of lovingly kindly intentionally you know what you may say i don't know how to do that mike ask for ask for my help ask for brad's help ask for our staff's help we'll help equip you we'll help you go down that road because i tell you what if you want to make disciples in a town that is 87% not part of a church that are either unchurched or de and you want to bring some hope and healing, embrace these tough combos. Tell God, throw open the doors. I will go there. It'll cost you. It'll be awkward. But following Jesus costs you. That's an inherent part of being a disciple. And if it's going to cost you, make it count. Make it count. You're gonna to talk to people. Ask God to just use that. And here's the last thing: ask yourself, no matter where you are as you sit here, am I living as if Jesus is my master, or have I bought into this lie that I'm my own master? Because we were not created to live that way. That'll mm, that'll run you off track really quick. I've been there. I've done that. And as backward as it sounds, there is so much freedom and so much joy in submitting to a master like Jesus and embracing him, serving him, being a slave for him. There's no better way. You know, don't live as if you owe some sort of debt that you're trying to pay off because Jesus paid that debt. You don't have to do that. My sister Melissa mentioned that after first service and went, "Yes, preach that." choose to live free, choose to serve the good master, and see what God does. You know, I encourage you, pray about that. Follow these organizations. Be ready for doors to open for combos, and be honest with yourself. Am I living as if Jesus is my master? And if not, what needs to change? Jesus, we're here as your kids. We've tackled this topic even when it's dicey, we've tried to be faithful to it. And I ask, would you work in us? Hearts, minds, hands, the way we go out and live, put on our radar the folks we need to be following to learn about this. Give us the tools we need to study our Bibles well, learn about this stuff, and talk to people about it so we can point them to you. Jesus, convict us in those areas of our lives where we're trying to white-knuckle and seize control when we, did, we need to give it to you as our true master. We come to your feet, and we ask you to help us along one more week. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for taking words Paul wrote 2,000 years ago in a prison cell and showing that you can use that to speak to us, God, and show us your love and show us your purpose. Thank you that we get to be brothers and sisters and that we had this chunk of time to just worship you today. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all, thank you for riding that roller coaster. Thanks for having a tough conversation. I hope this week goes well. And as you get ready to help stack a chair, just wanna remind you, men, we're gonna have so much fun eating steak and checking out this film from Tony Evans. Get signed up. You can do it at the table out there or you can do it using that QR code. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.